the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. This week we're in glorious Gothenburg for the Lloyd's List Intelligence Annual Executive Meeting. This is the event led by our consulting division, which brings together Sweden's maritime sector, a group which I think it's fair to say punches above its weight when it comes to global influence, and uses the combined intellectual firepower to examine the hot topics of the moment in shipping. Topics range from sanctions, security, decarbonisation, and some very useful forecasts for the year ahead. Sitting down at the Lloyd's List microphone this week, we have Eric Hanell, who runs Sweden's Stena Bulk, offering some startling insights into security in the wake of last year's Stena Impero affair in the Strait of Hormuz. But we start with our markets editor, Michelle Vizi-Bockman, talking to our own Christopher Palsen, who heads up Lloyd's List Intelligence Consulting Team, with Jorgen Karlsson, head of ABB Marine and Ports Division in Sweden. Shipping market surprises are on the agenda, and spoiler alert, I would recommend Tanker Bulls turn off this podcast now. But they're also discussing innovation and alternative fuels research underway in Scandinavia. I'm here in Gothenburg at the conclusion of the executive meeting with the Lloyd's List Intelligence Consulting Group, and I have here with me Christopher Powson and Jürgen Carlson from ABB. I'm just going to talk about some of the afternoon events, uh, presentations, and starting with you, Christopher, um, you're quite bearish for tankers, yet everybody seems to be optimistic and, and thinking there's an upside. Yeah, that's true, but there's only one underlying reason for that, and that is because in our, in, in our records we, we see uh, more ships on order than seems to be the general idea of what has happened out there. So we have found more more ships ordered predominantly by uh, Chinese interests uh, at Chinese yards that I don't think uh, they, they, they start realising that they don't need to to or go through uh, brokers in, in the West anymore. Uh, at least that's a, a speculation that we, uh, we are working with right now. So what's the difference in percentage terms between what you see ordered and what Western shipbrokers see? Well, we have an uh, um, order book to fleet ratio that is uh, some uh, eight percentage points higher than what seems to be the general consensus. And that is, of course, a massive difference. Uh, so we are, of course, whenever you stick out like that, you, you, you scrutinize all the data that you have, and we really, really have, but it seems to be generally true. So uh, if we are right and they are wrong, then of course we, 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 we re- report on that earlier than anyone else. So that's where we are. We, we believe what we have in front of us uh, until we can prove that that is something wrong with it, and um, we have not managed to, to do that yet. And what other big surprises were in the presentations that you heard today? Quite often the, the, the scale of things that are the biggest surprises, predominantly um, the dependency on fossil fuels for uh, electricity generation worldwide. I mean, we are quite, shall we say, influenced by the, the um, uh, en- um, energy commodity blend that we have for power generation in Europe, particularly in Northern Europe, and we reflect that on the situation in the world which is in, in complete conflict with that because worldwide 64% of electricity is generated from, from fossil fuels and uh, uh, if you go to the fast growing emerging market economies in, in China for instance and India 
uh, it's uh, much higher than that, and it's uh, coal dominated by coal. So it's it's a long way to go to to be the carbon neutral uh, switch to uh, when we, for instance, exchange a. Uh, a petrol or diesel car to an electric vehicle, we think that we're saving the planet and uh, we're doing better, yeah, but uh, maybe not as much as we'd like to think. Well, this segues nicely to Jurgen, um, mm. who gave a very interesting presentation about some of the um, alternative technologies that are out there for ship propulsion and for ships. So, can you just give an outline of um, two of the, the, the ferries and short sea? shipping vessels that um, you are working on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can do that. Thanks for the question. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah first of all, our, our idea is to have these uh, electrical backbone, as uh, Christopher just described. Uh, and that is, of course, a challenge uh, if you see it from a global, global perspective, that where does the electricity come from? But uh, if we leave that and, and look at, at the that technology on board and the flexibility it brings by having this backbone on, on board. You can, instead of having big big engines uh, that are traditionally with a gearbox and a propeller shaft, you, you disconnect that part, you have the diesels as, as uh, generators instead, and you have an electrical drive on board. And that, that is the way we think is the way forward to be future-proof for, for the shipping in the industry. So depending on what kind of fuel comes in the near future, it will be much easier to adapt the ship to, to the next generation of fuel. And uh, it might be hydrogen. We are looking at that very close. We have better battery technology on board. We know, uh, we see that it works and it seems really promising. And as you mentioned, a short sea shipping, we, we reach an energy efficiency on board up to 90%. Nine zero ninety percent, so it's extremely high if you compare to a traditional uh, drive line on a ship. I also mentioned a little bit about uh, navigation, intelligent uh, navigation on board, and it is this is strikes me when I see that on the ship side that it is really in a way old-fashioned on the bridge today, if you compare to a car or if you go on, on the land side and look in a control room, things are integrated. They have a much better environment to make decisions when it comes to operate the plant or operate the car. Why don't we have that on the ship side? So this is puzzling me. Why is not this is not happening? And just moving to Christopher, just to finish <coughs> off, um, there's an enormous amount of innovation and development in Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Um, so, uh, why is that for the uninitiated? Uh, well, it, it's very much um, due to history. One, one major decisive point or crossroad, I could say, is when uh, Sweden, uh, if you take Gothenburg, uh, which we happen to be in right now, was, uh, I think, the second largest shipbuilding city in the world at some point in time in the 1970s. And, and then uh, uh, we started to dismantle the entire shipbuilding industry, and we have very little left today, nothing in Gothenburg. Um, but we had all the supporting industries to the shipbuilders back then that either were out of business or needed to start to look uh, exporting their services. Mm. And some of these uh, were quite innovative already back then. Uh, and they realized that if we are to sell these services, because back then pretty much every shipyard was self-sufficient with pretty mm -hmm. much everything, we are to sell these services 
to shipbuilders elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, we need to be very good at what we are doing. We need to be on the on the on, on the high end or in the in pioneering or uh, the high quality stuff because we cannot compete with price. Uh, we have to compete with quality and uh, innovation. So the the companies that actually survived uh, became quite innovative and and and, and qualitative. They, they they went in that direction. And then there of course have been a number of mergers and acquisitions throughout the years, and a number of these services. So part of Jurgen's company, uh, mm -hmm. for instance, and we have companies like Alpha Laval mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and and similar, which are today uh, huge global players, and uh, uh, much of it uh, started some 40 years ago. May I add something there? Sure. Because this is really interesting, as you said, it's, it's very well described. And this also strikes me when we, we have been looking at these type of companies you're talking about. And if we leave ABB and Alpha Laval and other big companies out from this mass... Alpha Laval being the scrubber manufacturer, just for, for those yeah. that don't realize... Well, yeah. they are supplying the, pretty much mm. every piece of equipment you can find on board. Mm -hmm. They have a lot mm. of other equipment as well. Mm. But, but uh, back to these other companies you were talking about, the innovative uh, companies. There are more than 100 of these companies in Sweden, more than 100, but they are living on, on the export part. So, so this is really uh, cool, uh, or what, how should I say? I yeah, mean, well, it is. It, it yeah, is. I mean, from a so, Swedish perspective, it yeah, is. Because we are, we are not a low-cost country, uh, so it's, we are talking about the quality and innovation yeah. level. Yep. So these guys are really leaning forward, and this will also be the future for Sweden, yeah. I think, in uh, the marine. If I may add that, I mean, we, we heard today, for instance, a presentation by the owner uh, or co-owner and managing director of Thura Tank, which mm. is an early adopter of many of these new technologies, <coughs> which for a small ship owner is quite a venture uh, mm. and a big risk associated because they are, uh, they are gambling, maybe a wrong word, but they are jeopardizing their own money and their mm. own future for stepping into the more or less untested uh, just because they have a drive to be at the forefront. We want to do good. We want to be future-proof and all of hmm. that. Hmm. And that is quite... Uh, th that supports the industry as well, you know, because there, there is always a cultural and language barrier. So, you know, uh, travelling across the world to, to try to explain maybe not always you're not always all that comfortable in english and all of that trying to explain i want to achieve this it's much mm. easier to someone that maybe you know for 40 years already you know mm. so, sure. so so the cluster per se is important i agree with you Lars. we're talking about this uh, favorite tank i mean they they are really brave and we are talking about tight collaboration. Mm -hmm. and the, the same goes for 4C, um, we're talking about these battery yeah. ferries and so on. So, I mean, we need, uh, we need braveness in here doing the shifts. And, and, and we also need to be allowed to make errors or mistakes uh, in order to do a change. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it will not happen. But, but doing this together and, and uh, really hooking arms uh, makes the risks uh, less I think mm -hmm. because we know some parts from ABB and, and the ship owner knows some parts from his side and by, by combining these two competences and there are more competences of course needed then we can really uh, 
uh, ensure that the mistakes are, are uh, man manageable in that sense. Furutak is part of a cluster. Mm. I mean, they are a very small island outside of Gothenburg. Uh, and there are ten ship owners out there, eight of which are proto-tanker ship owners. Mm. And they are all equally progressive, uh, and some of them are fierce competitors. But they help each other out when it comes to sharing knowledge about the technology and development, you know, uh, uh, that shipyard worked for me, but you need to be aware of this and that. I tried that piece of equipment, but I found that, that the other one, the, the, the blue one, to work better than the yellow one, or whatever, you know. So, so they, they help each other out in the development. They, don't, they all want their fiercest competitors to survive. Okay, well, I think one thing that emerged from the, the, the discussions today is that the global solution to decarbonisation in shipping may actually emerge from Sweden. That would be nice. Okay, so thank you very much, gentlemen. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Eric Cannell is the president and CEO of Stena Bulk. The company hit world headlines when their medium-range product tanker Stena Impero was seized and held by Iran for 71 days last year. Eric talks candidly about the difficult episode and raises concerns about the persistent security issues for shipping that continue to pose a risk for the wider industry. I have here with me Stenabox CEO Eric Cannell, who was in charge when the Stena Impero was seized by Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps in July. And he was talking at the, the executive meeting earlier about the challenges and the behind-the-scenes work that went on. But he also talked about current risks, and he mentioned um, some, some problems in the, the Gulf of Aden, um, a well-known piracy hotspot nearly a decade ago. But what are you seeing now? No, I mean, we still, we still see some, uh, some activities uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, probably new, new uh, uh, areas, and uh, I think the, the conflict in, in, in Yemen is, is uh, for sure affecting uh, what's going on in the area uh, and and uh, uh, what we have seen recently uh, the last uh, six straight months is is uh, actually increased uh, activity in the area uh, so far i don't think uh, any of, of the merchant ship going through has been uh, deeply affected but uh, of course this is these are measurements uh, that we all need to take to make sure that we we continue safe transit through the area you mentioned that you had heard of vessels being approached by, um, you, you, you suppose, some Houthi rebels. Yes, exactly. I mean, we did again. I mean, this is what we believe. It's not. It's not confirmed. But I mean, uh, we we have ourselves in Stenabalk, We had we had uh, an incident uh, some some six months ago where uh, where we noticed two two smaller uh, speedboats approaching us, and uh, well, as soon as we we showed that. Uh, well, we were protected, to say, our own guns. Uh, they 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 left the the uh, area close to us. So, so uh, and uh, you know, uh, rumors or I mean, there are also indications that uh, other have the same experience around it, and and uh, it's been reported in news as well. So, so that's that's basically what I refer to. Okay. Now, when you were talking about the release of the Stena Impero, there was about a four-day. Um, delay and some uncertainty and what what can you infer from that about the influence of the foreign minister and the influence of the um, revolutionary guard corps, guard corps yeah i mean uh, yeah, i don't think i can make well much assumptions around that but i would say rather it is uh, 
it, it was a, a decision on on very high level that the ship would be released and, and then uh, i mean the, the ship had been there for uh, 71 well not 71 days so she was 71 days when she was released but for 67 days and i'm sure it's a it was a, a process in in the iranian system that that uh, well, it took longer time than than we wanted, uh, but but uh, I mean, looking at the, uh, the aftermath and uh, how it all happened, I, I could uh, I could definitely see this went from from uh, the highest level uh, down to the local authorities, down to the port in in Bandar Abbas. So so uh, uh, I will not make more more assumption that it was just a, a process that uh, needed to take the time it took actually. Now, very few people have met the Iranian foreign minister, yet you had that um, privilege mm. while you were in the midst of negotiating the vessel's release. What did you make of him? He's a US-educated guy, I imagine, and mm. very mm. active on Twitter. What, what were your impressions? No, I mean, we, we met him for uh, a short short period of time, and, and uh, I mean, it, it was a, all in all, you know, we had a good conversation, and uh, he, he uh, informed us of... of uh, uh, his view and and uh, what he would you know help try to help us with in the area and and basically my impression was good and 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 you know uh, we had a he had a good approach to to our uh, the challenges we were facing and uh, as i mentioned in the presentation at least we felt that that uh, from uh, from that uh, time uh, we had the meeting until the ship was released you know we we could actually notice and and feel that the, the the release was getting closer for every day, even if well, I had not expected to take another another 35 to 40 days before. But but uh, nevertheless, you know, the the feeling was was uh, better, and this, I mean, the communication with direct communication with Iran actually started up from that point, and and uh, that of course helped us a lot through through the the balance of the uh, during the balance of the time when the ship was captured.